Happy New Year. Nothing like starting off the new year with a time of praise and worship and singing, getting our focus in the right direction. A lot of stuff that goes on. And I was thinking for me as I head into this new year, what kind of focus do I need? And a lot of times as God speaks to me, I sort of feel like, well, maybe the rest of you need to hear it too. So sometimes uh, I'm spilling out my life into yours and hopefully God speaks. And and I was thinking um, about moments when you look at something that maybe somebody else received and they got something nice and they're, you know, you're looking at it like, man, that's a really nice thing they just got. And they're like, eh, it's okay. I don't even know if I'm going to use it. I might sell it. I might get rid of it. And you're like, I would love to have something like that, right? Or maybe they received a position or a title or something. They got a job promotion and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I really don't care. It's like, really? I would love to get a promotion or I would love to have that opportunity to, to do what you're doing. Or for students, maybe it's like you get a, a B on your uh, test and, and you're hoping for an A and your friend's like, I always get C's. I would love a B, right? And uh, But you're like, oh, whatever. Or... In sports, you know, come off the court and like, ah, I only scored eight points tonight. And your friend is sitting there going, I was just hoping to get in the game. You know, you ever been there? You ever seen that going on where somebody gets something and they, they really don't understand what they got? And meanwhile, you're over here looking at it saying, I know what you got. And that's good. I wish I had some of that, right? And then I was thinking through a lot of that because there are moments in my life when I'm very easily able to look at something else or someone else or whatever it may be and like think, oh, that'd be nice to get that. And then I find myself in the what? The complain mode. Been in the complain mode lately? Maybe 2020 was a complain year. I don't know. It's like we could have, should have, you know, all those things. And I was looking in the scripture and and we're going to head back into the Adventures in Bible series. We're going to jump into the life of Joshua and some of the cool stories with Joshua next week. But but before we get there, we were with Moses, and there's a gap between Moses and Joshua, sort of a handing off of the baton. But before they got to the promised land with Joshua, there was the leaving Egypt, and that gap in between, there's a lot of moments that Moses is probably saying, God, are you sure you wanted me to do this? Because this is no fun, okay? Um, and, and everybody else is sort of watching from the outside, looking at the children of Israel saying, you know what you got? You got something good. And the children of Israel were like, whatever. We're just going to complain and whine. And that's what I want to look at because I don't want us to be complainers. I don't want us to be whiners. I want us to look at 2021 with a new focus, with some hope, with some opportunity for what's coming our way to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So grab your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 10, Numbers chapter 10. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, we'll bring one to you, or you can use your phone. And Now, I'm looking at those young legs, and he's going, yeah, there he goes. He's like raising his hand, I need a Bible, you'll get it, there you go. You may remember, as I said, the children of Israel, they have been freed from slavery. They are no longer feeling the whips on their back. They have no longer feeling the shackles around their legs and arms. They're no longer being belittled or yelled at by the people that were over them and oppressing them. They have been freed. They're with uh, Moses now. They have witnessed the hand of God through ten plagues, horrendous plagues. They've witnessed the hand of God rescuing them from the Red Sea uh, moment when they were trapped. They've seen God move in a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. They have seen a lot, right? 
But now they're in this year number two in the wilderness, sort of encamped. And it's time now for them to enter the promised land. Let me hear you say promised land. We'll come back to that, but the promised land, okay? So they're going to they're gonna head out. Look at with me, uh, with me, verse 11, I believe it is, Numbers chapter 10. It says, In the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. Skip down to verse 33. They marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the ark of the Lord's covenant moving ahead of them to show them where to stop and rest. As they moved on each day, the cloud of the Lord hovered over them. It's pretty cool that the presence of God was in this cloud. And when the cloud moved, they moved. And here they are in this situation. They're like, God's going. He's moving. Let's go. We're going to the promised land, right? They're pretty excited about this. But then conditioning's got a little challenging for these people. Got a little bit tough. If there was a year that I could tell you this happened, I would have said it was 2020, BC, okay, but we don't know the exact year, but it was a rough year for them. It was a rough time. They complained about how hard life was, and instead of praying to God, they complained to each other, and it sort of got old real quick, but what was the result of the complaining? Typically, when you complain to God, there was some kind of punishment, and then there would be a, I'm sorry, God, and repent. Things got right. And then they would all start back over as sort of a, a cycle they went through. In this moment, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Look at chapter 11 with me. Verse 1, it says, Some of the people began to complain about their hardship. Times are hard, right? The Lord heard everything they said, and the Lord's anger blazed against them. It's funny that they used the word blaze because he set a fire to rage among them. He destroyed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. And it only stopped when Moses prayed. Look at verse 2. The people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. So here's this first moment. They're really upset. They're complaining and whining. God's like, stop it. Boom, fire comes. Moses prays. God puts the fire out. But then just a couple of verses later, we read about something else. You see, there were people that left Egypt with the Israelites. There's a few people from Egypt, some Egyptians. They're like, we're out of here. We don't like the government either. So let's just sort of sneak in with some of these Israelites, these Hebrew people. Let's move out with them. And they sort of mingled in with them. and They all moved out. Well, now these people, they're like, eh, I sort of wish I was back in Egypt. So they start a little murmuring among themselves and causing some issues. Look with me, verse 10. As these Egyptians, in verse 4, caused trouble because they wanted to get rid of the manna, right? They wanted to eat some meat. Verse 10 says, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was very aggravated, it says. Can you imagine he comes out of his tent and he's like, Ugh. he's just listening to people all around. Stupid Moses took us out of Egypt. Wish we had some meat. Yeah, we got this dumb man. You know, there's all this whining going on and complaining. He's like, oh man, Moses is aggravated. He's extremely depressed. He's he's he's, he's hurting. Uh, it happens to leaders. I was reading some articles that most 
Uh, more pastors have quit and churches have closed in the last year than ever before. In 2019, Lifeway reported 250 pastors left the ministry every month. Think about that. 250 times 12, that's a couple thousand pastors that said, bye-bye, I'm done. Now, what gets a pastor to that point? Ask any leader, any leader in ministry especially, they'll tell you, it's, it's tiring, I'm tired of people whining and complaining and so forth and so on. And this is where Moses is. Look what he says in verse 14. I can't carry all these people by myself. That's sort of a clue to us who are in leadership. It's right, you can't. And when you try, that's part of the problem, right? The load is far too heavy, verse 15. This is how you intend to treat me? Just go ahead and kill me, God. Do me a favor. Spare me from this misery. Moses is alone. He's frustrated. He's tired. And instead of whining to the people, what did Moses do, though? He prayed to God. At least he got that part right in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his discouragement and frustration. He's like, I'll pray. Everybody else is whining and complaining. I'll pray. So he prays, and he has this little one-on-one with God. And God's like, let me show you something. Look at verse 21. Moses responded to the Lord because God said he's going to fix it, right? He's going to bring me. He says, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. So we're not counting children. We're not counting the women. We're not counting those who can't fight. So again, we're talking a million, almost two million people, right? He's like, and yet you say, I'll give them meat for a whole month. Moses goes on to say, even if we butchered all of our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough, God? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Don't you love that response? Now you'll see whether or not my word comes true. I love how God's like, Moses, my arm lost its power. My finger lost its power. Have I lost my power? Sort of throws it back on Moses. They ran out of food. They complained. God says, I'm providing. I'm providing. It says that quail flew in from the camp. For miles, you could see these quail three feet high flying, and they were everywhere, like sands on the seashore. It says no one gathered less than 50 bushels of quail. Think about that for a second. So if we got 100 plus people in here, and we got 50 bushels per person, we got over 500 bushels of quail. I don't think I could even eat five quail, let alone 50 bushels. I mean, what are they going to do with all this? It was like God says, all right, you going to whine and complain? Here you go. You know, it's like you're sitting at the table. I wish I had more peanut butter pie. Oh, you want peanut butter pie? Beep, beep, beep. Dump truck, like, and just dumps on you, right? And you're like, oh, this is so good, right? And then you get sick, right? Because why? You're gorging yourself with something you really don't need. And we look in Scripture, you know, well, there's gluttony. There's a sin we don't talk about a lot, right? Eating too much, piling plates so high we can't even see over the top of the plate. Let's not talk about that. But here's the thing. They asked for it. They got it. God's like, you want quail? You want meat? I'll give you meat. And so they get all this meat. They're like, yeah, we got meat. And they're eating and eating. And what happens? God's like, oh, yeah, now you're stuffing your faces. Watch this. And they're like, oh, I don't feel good. All of a sudden, everybody's getting sick. A plague hits. People start to die. This is like some serious food poisoning, right? God's like stepping in once again, complain. I'll give you what you want. Boom. Discipline happens. What do the people do? We're sorry. We're sorry. God makes it better. 
right? We don't stop there yet. It says, God struck them with a plague that killed many, but it didn't stop. Look at chapter 12. We're not going to read through it. But Miriam, which is the sister of Moses, and Aaron, now they're going to start. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody down the road complain about you, but your own family start complaining about you. And they're like looking at Moses like, let's see, what can we say bad about him? Because uh, actually what's going on is they're, they're jealous of his power and his position, his title. They want some of that, but they can't find anything about him that's like, all right, so God ordained him, put him in this position, and he's brought us this far, and he's got that staff, and he does crazy things with, and, hmm, oh, his wife. His wife is a Midianite, a foreigner. Yeah, we got you now. And so they start complaining about his wife being different. Really? Once again, God corrects the jealous, sinful complainer. Miriam gets leprosy. Not a good thing. She's probably going to die from this, right? So what does Moses do? Yet serves you right, sister. No, he's a loving brother, and he's like, goes to God. Do you ever notice every time there's something goes on, Moses like, go to God. So he goes to God, and he prays for his sister. God's like, all right, I'll remove the leprosy, but she's going to stay outside camp for seven days. We're going to call this a holy timeout for her. She's going to have to do something. She's got to discipline or something. So she had to be outside camp for a week. Meanwhile, inside camp, they're all looking forward to going to the promised land. Let me hear you say promised land. Because remember, this is where it all starts. There's, there's a great hope for the future, right? So they're going to go to the promised land, and uh, God gives Moses instructions. Moses is like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I need one leader from every tribe. There's 12 tribes. So one leader from every tribe, I'm going to send you in and get a report for me on this promised land. So 12 of them go into and they're looking for what kind of vegetation, what kind of fruit, what does the crops look like? What are the buildings like? What are the people there like? Are they big people? Are the cities fortified, unprotected? What, we, I need to know everything you can. So for 40 days, these spies are checking out the land, scouting report. They come back. When they get back, it says that the 12 men shared these great stories. Oh, listen, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and fruit, and veggies, no more just manna and quail. And everybody's like, yes. They're all excited, right? You ever seen the stories that, and I could have looked one up, but, you know, there's pictures of these guys carrying in these big, like a big beam, a big rail, and on the rail is all these fruit, these, I mean, they're like grapes the size of dodgeballs, you know what I'm talking about? And it's like, wow, the promised land is definitely promising, right? We don't know what the fruit looked like, but we knew it was plentiful, it was big, it was prosperous, right? They're all fired up. But then 10 of the 12 spies like, yeah, but the people there are big too. So we probably shouldn't go in there because we'll get, we'll get defeated. We'll get hurt. And the other two spies were like, no, did you remember God, God gave us this, this land and, and it, we need to go in. And, but the 10 are like, no, we shouldn't. Hey, spread a rumor. We can't go in there, okay? Big people, scary. They're going to kill you. And like wildfire. Bad rumor spread. Everybody is now complaining. Numbers chapter 14, you can turn there, verses 1 and 2, says this. The whole community, listen to this, the whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. I mean, this is some serious rumors that got spread about how horrible it would be, Right? Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Oh, here comes the complaining again. 
That's all these people do. Their middle names are complainers, right? This time it's going to intensify. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb. It says later in, in a couple of verses down on verse 10, it says, the whole community, community began to talk about how we're going to stone Joshua and Caleb. Okay, for younger generation, the stoning was like, hey, we're going to stone them. No, not that stoning. Okay, it was like pick up rocks, throw them, kill them, destroy them. Okay, that's the kind of stoning. It was not a good thing. Neither of them are a good thing. Okay, but anyway, so they're going to, they want to kill them. Now, remember, where are they going again? They're going where? Promised land. Yes, get stoned. No, that's done. Okay, we're done talking about that. They're going to the promised land. Let me hear you say promised land. It's a promised land. And I want you to think about this. If God is all-powerful, if God is almighty, if God is so giving, if God created this earth, this universe, this world, he created the promised land, key word being promised. I promise something to you. I'm going to give this to you. God said, I created it. I made it. It's my land to give to you. I own it. I'm the owner. You are going to possess it. Promise. That's promised land. With all that in mind, what are these people waiting for? I mean, is, is God some kind of sadistic evil God who's like, hey, come here. I'm going to give you something. Go ahead, touch it. Don't ever touch that. It's like, what are you, nuts? Right? Is God that kind of God? Like, come into the promised land so I can kill you. Is that God? No. He's an awesome God. He's a loving God. Oh, yeah. He is also a holy God, which means he doesn't want to see sin. He wants to clean these people. I'm putting you in a promised land, but listen, people, we got to get this right. So there is God, full of love, full of mercy, full of grace. But he still has to do something about this because these people rebelled again. They complained. This has got to stop, right? So, all right, I'm giving you this. You don't trust me. So, all of you who said you don't want to go in, so be it. Forty more years wandering out in the desert. Bye-bye. For those of you that did believe me and trusted me and wanted to come into this promised land, once all those people die and are dead, you can all come back in. So, unfortunately for the little children and those not yet born in generations to come, our generation messed it up for everybody, right? Sorry, right? Look in Scripture, chapter 16, fast forward a little bit, because you sort of sit there thinking, by now, these people have learned their lesson, right? And they're like, all right, no more complaining. We're all good now. We've learned our lesson. Well, not quite. Numbers chapter 16, verse 3, the people start complaining about Moses and Aaron and their authority, their, their leadership. And it was led by a gentleman by the name of Korah. He was a Levite who assisted in the tabernacle worship. And he and about 250 other men were like, yeah, Moses ain't that special of a man. And uh, we need to do something about him because Korah, you the man. Basically, Korah is rebelling and now he's revolting. Now he's leading all these other people to start complaining against Moses. So what does God do? God's like, have you not learned? Check out what happened. This is like a Hollywood scene, okay? Verse 31, it says this. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. Verse 32. The earth opened its mouth, swallowed the men along with their households, all their followers who were standing with them, and everything they owned. 
So when they went down into the grave, along with all their belongings, the earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. Verse 34. All the people around them fled when they heard the screams. The earth will swallow us too, they cried. Then fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. It's like, again, this is like a Hollywood scene. It's like one of those movies with earthquake, right? And it just opens up, and Korah, his family, all of his belongings are like, and the earth closed back up, and there's a big belt, and then, and then fire comes down, and then there's all these 250 men become uh, instant candles, okay? It's like, wow, who thinks this up? It wasn't thought up. It happened. God's serious about holiness. God's serious about the sins in our lives. And Korah, of all people, he led people in worship, and now he's leading them away from God to himself. And he got a bunch of people to complain right along with him. Check out Numbers 16.41. The people now are like, they should have been like what? Well, we're sorry that we complained, right? What did they do? Look at verse 41. But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering or complaining against Moses and Aaron saying, you killed the Lord's people. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle. They saw that the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. It's like they start complaining again against Moses for the way the situation got handled with Korah. And then God's like, all right, now God shows up, the cloud covers the tabernacle, and everybody's like, uh-oh, because they know they're in trouble. A plague breaks out. People start dying. What does Moses do? You all deserve it, right? Moses steps in and once again for the people. He has Aaron. He tells Aaron to to do some things. Check out what Aaron does in verse 47. Aaron did as Moses told him. He ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people. But Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague, in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah. So here's the pattern. God gives graciously. People, like, complain about it. God punishes them. They then repent, and then God gives graciously, and then they complain, and then they repent. And you see how this cycle just keeps going? Turn to Numbers chapter 21. One more. You're like, oh, thanks, Rex. This complaining sin stuff is like driving me nuts, right? Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. It says, The people of Israel set out to Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient for the long journey. They began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? So much of me wants to just say, because you all failed to go into the promised land the first time. That's why we're still out here and you're still complaining, right? There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. And look at this. We hate this horrible manna. Really? You hate manna? How could you hate manna? Manna is the thing that's keeping you alive. And then I thought about it. See, every Wednesday night, I think it's been since March or somewhere around there, every Wednesday night I drive over to Panera on Wednesday night, and we pick up their leftovers. They donate all their leftovers to a nonprofit every week, every day. We got Wednesdays, so I go pick it up. I load up the van. Usually there's anywhere from four to six, sometimes seven bags of bagels and breads and 
baked goods and something like, oh, yeah. It's like manna, right? I remember those. When I used to go to Toledo and I'd maybe pick up a, go to Panera. I was like, oh, I can't wait to have a bagel or a sweet or something like that. Now every Wednesday, my van is full of them. And we have so many that we give off to the food pantry here to help feed people. And then we take some to the nursing home. We take some to the, the police station. I took some in last week to the police station. I'm like, do you guys ever get tired of this? Like, no, thank you. And they're happy. And they're like, all right, good. But for me, I'm like, ah, every, you know, it's like, ah, I can smell it. And it's like, that's a good thing these days, right? Okay. So I'm like, ah, it smells so good. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, here it is. It's all the bread and bagels. And sitting all around me as I'm driving home for the next half hour. And then I get an email from Panera saying, hey, congratulations, awards winner. You received a free bagel. I'm thinking, awesome. I get 200 every week. Like, I want one more. Oh, I hate these bagels. And I'm going, oh. Like, I hate manna. I get it. I can see how maybe, maybe. But then I thought about it. It's like, no, they had it much, way much worse. I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere, wandering in the wilderness. And they're complaining now about, oh, we eat is manna. That was keeping them alive. It's the bread of life for them. Sort of a a prequel to what Jesus calls himself in the book of John. I am the bread of life. And the Old Testament is like, this is the bread of life that's keeping you alive, right? So let's see what happens here. Look at verse 6, all this complaining going on. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Many were bitten and died. And the people came to Moses. They cried out, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses does what again, right? He's like, I'll pray. That's my job. I come between you people and God. Verse 8. The Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake, attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to the pole. Anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I mean, the, the moment they started complaining, God's judgment fell upon them, right? Poisonous snakes. The people cried out when they started confessing their sins and Moses prayed for them. But did you see the picture of Jesus in this story? Did you see how God was pointing ahead to a future salvation for all mankind? When you look here at this story, you see it's like they, they put a snake on a pole and they put the pole in another deck. Everybody who looks at the pole will be saved. Anybody still seeing anybody still seeing a picture of what's taking place here in this story? John chapter three, verse sixteen says, What? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that Whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life, right? But do you know verses 14 and 15? Verses 14 and 15 says this, And as Moses lifted up this bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Moses gave the command, You look, you will live. Just look and live. It doesn't matter if, if you've been just a one little fang, just scratched your skin, you got a little bit of venom in you, or you got like 10 snakes hanging off of you, okay? It doesn't matter how bad you've been bitten by a venomous snake. All you've got to do is look and live. And it goes the same way with sin. It doesn't matter if it, we're all sinners, okay? But it doesn't matter if you're like, you're a horrible sinner, or you're an average sinner, or I don't even know if you can average out sin, okay? But it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Look and live. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's what scripture tells us. I love how the Old Testament's always pointing towards it. You can find Jesus in every book of the Bible, by the way. And so as we look here, God's given us this glimpse of his eternal rescue mission that he's going to launch. 
But unfortunately, these people all started with what? They had forgotten what life was like without manna, right? They had forgotten the power of God. Turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we don't have a lot of time to go. This is a long passage. I would strongly encourage you, go back and read through it this week, Psalm 78. But in Psalm 78, the the author of this psalm, it's not David, the author of this psalm says, hey, you need to open up your ears and listen and look around and see what's been going on here. Verse 4 says, we're not going to hide these truths, God's word, from our children. Why do we have children's ministry? Why do we have GPS Tupas? Because we understand the importance of raising up our children in a godly manner. Why do we have baby dedications? Because we want to pray for these parents that they raise their children up in a godly way. We'll not hide these truths from our children. We'll tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty wonders. Verse 7 goes on to say, Each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfailing, refusing to give their hearts to God. This psalmist is like, you can't forget who God is. You forget who God is, you will become rebellious, you'll become a complainer, you'll become a whiner. Keep your eyes focused on who God is and what he's done for you. We learn about the warriors in verse 9 and 10 who they basically turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. Why were they being defeated? Because they had refused to listen to the instructions of the Lord and they were facing defeat. It says, verse 11, they forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors in the plain of Zone and the land of Egypt. They're forgetting about the power of God. When you forget about the power of God, you forget about what God's done for you. It's easy to complain. It's easy to whine. It's easy to get frustrated, right? You look at verse 13, it says, he divided the sea, led them through making the water stand up like walls. He starts taking them back in history. The, the writer goes, hey, okay, let's go back to the children of Israel. You know, the complainers. Remember how he pushed up the walls of the Red Sea, you know, or pushed up the water of the Red Sea and made walls, right? And they walk through, and he talks about that here. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud at night, a pillar of fire, split rocks open so they could drink water. It just goes on saying, remember that? Remember that? Remember how God rescued you? Remember how God provided for you? You remember that? Look at verse 17. Yet they kept on sinning against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God. They had stubborn hearts. They spoke against God. Verse 20 says, yes, he can strike a rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. And when the Lord heard them, he was furious. The fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yes, his anger rose against Israel. Verse 22, for they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. See, these people were always whining and complaining. Why? Because they were not focused on God. They were not listening to God. They were not obeying God. They forgot about God. Verse 23, he commanded the skies to open. He opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna from the... So we read here more about... But God kept providing. He gave them manna. The food, verse 25 says, they ate the food of angels. That sounds delicious. God gave them all they could hold. And he talks about how he rained down in verse 27. He rained down meat as thick as dust, birds as plentiful as the sand of the seashore. That's the quail. Remember that we just talked about? The author reminds us of God's power, but then he reminds us of the unrepentful hearts of these people. Verse 30 
But before they satisfied their craving while the meat was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them. He killed their strongest men. He struck down the finest of Israel's young men. But in spite of this, the people kept sinning. It's like God does these wonderful things. They forget. God does these wonderful things. They don't care. Verse 35 says, Then they remembered God was their rock, that God most high was a redeemer. But all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They didn't keep his covenant. Yet he was merciful, forgave their sin, and did not destroy them all. Many times he held back his anger and didn't unleash his fury. For he remembered that they were merely mortal gone like a breath of wind that never returns. You know, sometimes we read through these scriptures like, how could God do this to these people? But it's like God gave them life. God gave them everything. And yet they did nothing but give him lip service. Like, oh, we love you, God, whatever. I'm hungry. Feed me. Right? Just drop something in my mouth, God. And they kept complaining and whining. Why keep loving such ungrateful people? Because he's an amazing God. That's why. His name is love. He is love. He is full of grace and mercy. And he gives us these things that we just don't deserve. And so when I, when I look at all this, sort of wrap this up, what, what do we learn from this? What, all this complaining and all this stuff, I, I'll just say it like this. Life is challenging, right? In the midst of our challenges of life, our shortcomings, our looking at other, well, look what they have, look what I don't have, right? Where's my focus? Am I really grateful for all that I have? In the good times, do I give praise to God? In the tough times, do I still find reason to praise God? We just sang this song, yes, I will. We just proclaimed it, yes, I will. But we'll walk out of these doors and no, we won't. Our yes has got to be a yes. We've got to continue to seek God. We've got to be careful because complaining never solves a problem. We know that. And we're, we're, again, why do I preach this? Because I'm going through it. And when you go through something and God shows you something, it's like, I got to share something. And, and I know for me, it's like when I complain, you know what I've discovered? Complaining never solves a problem. I, I, my problems are still this high. And, and when I complain, they don't do this. They, they actually do this. Sometimes they double. It's not a good thing. I, what I've learned is that pain produces typically just judgment. I'm sorry, complaining produces pain and judgment. That's what we learned from here. So I'm going to do this. I want you to ask yourself, do I complain a lot? Not, doesn't Rex complain a lot? I want you to ask you, do you complain a lot, okay? Ask yourself this question. Do I complain a lot? Just ask yourself that question, okay? Am, do, am I around a lot of people who complain a lot? Ask yourself that question. Now check out your social media accounts. For those of you that are online a lot or whatever, just check out what you have posted over the last two months. How much of it is positive? How much is negative? Check out all your friends that you follow and things that you've liked. How many of their posts are positive or negative? If you've got a lot of negative feeds going on in your, then maybe you just need to unfollow some people for a while and get rid of the negativity that's pouring in. Because, again, what happens sometimes, you know, like, when somebody gets sick and they throw up, we call people who can't be around that sympathetic pukers. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You're like... You see somebody throw up, you're like, I can't get near them because I'll throw up, right? Some of you are like, some of you aren't that way, but you use that excuse because you never want to clean it up. I know who you are, okay? 
But here's the thing. Some of us are sympathetic complainers. We get around other people complaining. What do we do? We start complaining too. So ask yourself, how are you doing with complaining? How are you doing with other people around you complaining? Are you feeding into that or are you moving away from that? It's challenging, isn't it? Again, the book of Numbers, I'm reading through this. That time period between leaving Egypt and the promised land seemed like God was was like working on the hearts of these people. And it wasn't so much about, I want to make you stronger so you can enter the promised land and defeat the big battles coming. You need to be stronger in here. And here's the thing. We cannot face the battles in our life physically if we are not spiritually strong. And this might be something like a weak link in our our chain or something like that. So instead of complaining, I want to encourage you to look for the things to give praise for. What can you be thankful for? God is definitely here in the midst of our lives, right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Hebrews 12.2 sort of gives us an idea of how to do this. Hebrews 12.2 tells us this. Let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. That's verse 1. So we're going to run this journey, right? But how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The only way I can be more positive in how I live my life, get my eyes on Christ. Where's your focus? Where's my focus? If it's not on the cross, our eyes need to be fixated on the cross and what he did for us. Don't look at the waters that are around you. Look at the God who holds up the waters. Don't look at your empty plate, but look at the God who can fill your plate. Don't look at the things that are biting you right now, like the snakes, right? But look to the cross, the one who can save you in the midst of all that's going on. There's a lot of times um, at Christmas time, we get Christmas cards with letters in them and people sort of sum up their year. They put all their highlights in there like this year, little Johnny did this and Susie did it on. Well, we did this and we traveled here and it's, it's, it's fun to read what's going on in people's lives, right? But I, I've never gotten a Christmas card with one of those letters. It's like, and then this bad thing happened and then this bad thing happened. See, people don't share that in those Christmas cards. They, they put the highlight. They, this is a good thing that happened. What are they doing? They have fixated, they have focused on the goodness of that year. So let's get our eyes fixed on the goodness of what God has given us. The the powerful, incredible things that he has poured out into our lives are worth singing about. And we do that. That's why we come here and we sing and we want to worship God and worship the things that he's given us. And I know there's things that have happened in your life this last week, this last year that you would just like to put in the toilet and just flush, right? I'm done with it, right? Then good. It's gone. We don't need to talk about it anymore, right? We, we, we don't have to complain about it. Get your eyes fixed on Christ. When those moments happen, pray. Isn't that what Moses did? Is that where our victory comes from? Let God fight your battles, would you? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. As those children of Israel just wandered and wandered and they complained and complained. And you disciplined them, you punished them. It seems like they never learned their lesson. God, I, I feel like sometimes I don't even learn my own lessons that you give me. It's like, why do I have to repeat this? I feel like I'm complaining again and... And um, you're putting up with my complaints. God, help me to turn my complaints into prayers. Help me to come to you instead of going to others. Lord, may we all do that. 
the things that come our way, Lord, let us bring them to you. And at the same time, Lord, let us put our eyes on you. Because you really are a good God. You have given us so much. You love us when we are so unlovable. You forgive us when we, we can't even forgive ourselves. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.